and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide, should I stay or should I go? I'm joined today by Andrew Bent, who is the Director of Business Continuity and Insurance for the Sage Group, which is a global market-leading technology company that helps small businesses, small and medium-sized businesses, perform at their best. And I didn't realize this, but they have actually 13,000 employees and a footprint of over 23 countries, and they sell into a number of others as well. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. It's great to be with you today. Great to have you. And, you know, you and I have known each other for a fair amount of time now. And, and I, I always like talking about your background because you have an extremely non-traditional way of how you came into risk management. And uh, starting with, I, I think uh, you were a chemical engineer, were you not? Correct. Yeah. I'm always the, the weird kid in the room when it comes to discussing how did you get into to risk management and insurance. So you said I was a chemical engineer originally by training and as you can probably tell from the accent, not from North America, uh, New Zealander originally. And so that uh, has led me on a kind of fairly unique journey to get to where I am today. Excellent. So uh, how does a, a, a someone who is a chemical engineer end up in risk management? Because I'm guessing that's not what you were thinking about doing. <laughs> no, not originally. I actually set out and began my career as a soldier in New Zealand with the New Zealand Army planning on doing that, but picked up some injuries along the way, which meant that I had to look for a new job. And from there, I ended up working for the New Zealand Customs Service. So it's the border agency in New Zealand. They were looking for someone that sort of had some of the skills I had and were prepared to train me in the areas that I didn't know a lot about, which, you know, as as a young guy with some knowledge around how to be a chemical engineer, but not a border officer was a yeah, pretty long list. So from there, I worked uh, for the Customs Service in an area and we did a lot of risk assessment, um, a lot of risk management. As, a, as an organization, we didn't have a huge number of staff, but we had a really big mandate. So the only way that you can effectively manage that is by figuring out what's important, putting some priorities around it, and then using risk management to decide where and when and how you're going to deploy your resources. So that was really, I guess, my my grounding and very operational, very targeted, objective-specific risk management. That's where I kind of, I guess, grew up. Now, as, as you and probably a number of your, your listeners know, New Zealand and Australia had brought out the very first risk management standard. So this was something that was pretty well known in New Zealand at the time, but still relatively immature probably in terms of how it was being applied and customs at that stage was uh, one of the kind of the leading agencies around taking risk management and making it practical. 
so it's sort of how I how I started off and how I transitioned from being a you know chemical engineer to being a a then a customs officer doing risk. From there, as I got a little further into my career and kept doing sort of different pieces of a risk puzzle, ended up moving to Canada and working for a police service in Edmonton in Alberta in Western Canada. Working there originally actually as a strategic analyst, looking at their programs, doing risk-based evaluations. And my boss at the time was a guy who who knew risk management, but he also knew that he probably knew enough to be dangerous, was I think the way he described it, and was looking for someone with some skills and experience in risk management to set up their first enterprise risk management program for Edmonton Police. So I guess right place, right time, moved over and set up the program there. Since then, I've moved through a couple of jobs, both in the public sector as well as in private, working for energy companies, energy regulators in Canada. And since 2016, end of 2016, I've been working for SAGE and based out of the U.S., so how did you end up coming to the U.S.? I'm curious. Um, well, probably the long, the long story short is, like many people, met my partner and decided, you know, one of us was going to have to move. So it was probably easier for me to move than it was for her to move up to Canada. So uh, started to, to do a little bit of uh, job searching and managed to find a, an employer that I wanted to work for, that wanted to, me to work for them and ended up moving down originally to Atlanta to our North American headquarters to work via the SAGE. Did you catch how your accent changed for a moment when you said Atlanta? <laughs> As I say to people, Mike, I, I don't have an accent. Everyone else does. But <laughs> I also recognize that I have no clue what my accent sounds like anymore. I'm told that if I have a couple of New Zealand beers, it probably sounds a little bit more New Zealand. Um, in its tone, but I can't, I have no perspective on that anymore. I've been away from New Zealand for uh, 10 years or more now. <laughs> it's very funny. I, you know, I'm somebody, I'm originally from Brooklyn. So, you know, uh, I've been living in New Jersey now for, uh, you know, most of my adult life. And when I'm talking to people in various parts of the world or country, really, I don't talk to too many people outside the US. But, you know, I don't really have, in my mind, as big a Brooklyn accent but they uh, they invariably can tell me that the, I was definitely from New York, not necessarily Brooklyn. But then when I get together with my Brooklyn friends, it really comes out. So Yeah, I can uh, imagine. I, I can totally relate to that. So I guess some of the things I wanted to get into with you are, you know, kind of your perspectives on what it takes to be an effective risk manager. You know, you've, uh, you've worked in different types of organizations, uh, different risk profiles and such. So what would you say are some of the key things people need to be developing and thinking about? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, I do have probably a, I think a reasonably unique perspective on that because, you know, I've worked in very operational risk roles, very corporate focused, sort of very governance heavy risk roles, and as well as some quite sort of insurance ones. And I think, you know, the best piece of advice I'd give to anyone thinking about coming into the risk management field is that you've got to understand risk management, the concept. You, you've got to, you've just, you've got to understand it. You can't, 
come in and say, I'm, I'm going to know everything about this one little piece of a puzzle. You have to understand, you know, how and why decisions get made, the context that they come through, how you can go about identifying what's important and what's not and assessing it and, and then being able to make good recommendations that are sensible and are practical and that will work in the, in the context of the organization. And, you know, if that sounds an awful lot like kind of an ISO 31000 process, well, yeah, it, it is. But I think the key thing to be able to do all of those is to be able to communicate. It's to be able to understand that there'll be different levels and types of communications within organizations depending on who you're working with, and, and all of them are equally valid. You know, I've, I've worked with folks who are highly, highly technical, and, you know, you've got to be able to dial up or down the technical language accordingly. You know, equally, I've talked and worked with people who were our, you know, frontline workers, folks who uh, probably have very different background of mine, um, maybe quite a different education or background of mine. You know what? You've got to be able to talk to them as well. It's not all about the C-suite. It's not all about, you know, finance and numbers. You've got to be able to do all of that, but it's really about being able to communicate and being able to engage with people authentically as you're doing that. People know when you're talking down to them. Equally, people can will pick up really quickly if you don't know what you're talking about. So being authentic in how you do that, I think is probably the most important and most critical skill that anyone looking to get into risk management or progress in their risk management career really needs to to have a good handle on. So, you know, while you're talking, it's making me think about some of the earlier experience that I had in my career as a recruiter, you know, dealing with very senior level people and me having, you know, relatively little experience comparatively and uh, trying to give people career advice and I have to tell you, it was pretty uh, intimidating to be having conversations with directors of risk management, being a junior person in the recruiting field. And one of one of the ways that I got over it from my own uh, perspective was I asked a lot of questions. And uh, I always felt like people would at least respect me if I made a, uh, a serious attempt, you know, an authentic attempt to really understand them to understand their their background and their experience, and they didn't seem to mind that I asked a lot of questions. I think they really appreciated it. Would you uh, would you say the same is true in risk management? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think no one expects you to be an expert on everything, and I think part of that authenticity is acknowledging that. I mean, I've said to to people on plenty of occasions, it's like I'm I'm a expert in nothing. When I'm working with different areas, I'm looking to them to bring that technical expertise. You know, these are the people who are the experts in whatever thing it is that they're doing that you're working with, talking to them about as a risk management professional. You don't necessarily need to be, as a risk management professional, an expert in all of these things. I'll give you an example. In my current organization, I know what code looks like. I if I really thought about it, I could probably tell you a couple of very basic rules for coding language, but I have no idea how to do a detailed analysis of the security risks around computer code. Not a chance but I'd be able to do that. But what I do know is that I don't know that. And I do know, because I've done the work to get to understand my organization, is who would I need to talk to 
to understand what those risks look like? Who would I need to engage with to be able to really get a good sense of what's going on and how things are done and more importantly, how things are really done versus how they might be written down? And that's, I think, where you actually can earn a lot of respect and time and patience from people is when you come to them and say, look, I'm not an expert in this. You're the expert in it. You tell me what's going on. I'll ask you some questions and they might be occasionally pretty simple or, you know, even a little boneheaded questions. But, you know, by acknowledging that up front, then I think certainly my experience is that people will be willing and prepared to help you with that. I mean, in my career, I think I've probably only come across a very small handful of people when I've taken that approach who have just said, oh, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to spend time educating you. And, you know, those cases will happen, but for the most part, people want to help. People genuinely try and, you know, will work with you if you're prepared to work with them. And I think, you know, communication, asking lots of questions, acknowledging, you know, what you do and don't know is a big part of it. So, you know, you touched on something really, I think, important in that, you know, in order to be an effective risk manager, you really need to understand the business that your company is in and the roles and the uh, really, until you get to know the business, it's hard to really do true risk management, wouldn't you say? I'd actually go further than that. And I'd say that if you don't know the business, you can't do effective risk management. I'd say you can probably actually do more damage than good. Because if you're not going to put the effort in to understand what is it that your business is trying to achieve, and it would say business, I'm talking about any organization, whether it's a for-profit, not-for-profit, every organization, company, whatever you want to call it, does things to achieve certain outcomes. They might be quite strategic outcomes, they might be quite tactical outcomes, but everybody does something for a reason. And if you don't understand what that reason is and you don't understand what environment those outputs or outcomes are going to be put into, it's really hard to make any type of difference on the organization. You know, in the past, it was in some areas, it, it was okay. You know, you didn't necessarily need to know that to any great degree. Maybe you'd have a sort of superficial knowledge, but particularly in the enterprise risk management space, you know, you've got to know your business. You've got to know who the players are. You've got to know why they do what they do. And if you don't, my assertion is you could probably do more damage than good because you're going to make recommendations to folks without having a good solid foundation. And that's never a, it's never a great place to be. So do you have kind of a playbook that you would follow if you were walking into a new organization as the new risk manager? Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've done this a little bit over the years as I've moved through roles. For me, the number one priority is, is doing exactly that, is find out who the players are, find out what the organization, how it's structured, what it does, even at a relatively simple level, and get out and go see it. You know, it's one thing to read about a company's structure through reading its 10K or its annual report. But it's an entirely different thing to actually be out meeting people, seeing things, you know, getting involved, understanding how the business does what it does. And, you know, for me, that's what I was trying to do fairly early on, you know, as a as a first priority is get out and understand the business. Now that typically means that, you know, the first two or three months in any new role, 
you might not be delivering, you know, uh, and I use that in that phrase in, in quotes for you, delivering a lot of risk management. But what I would say is that if you don't do that, it's going to take a lot longer for you to be really effective as a risk manager. So getting out, meeting people, talking, asking those questions around, hey, can you explain to me what you're doing here? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And probably doing more more listening than talking. Now, I'm probably not a great example of that. I'll you know, start a fight in an empty room if I need to. But first few months in a job, I try and really kind of keep, keep a lid on that and ask more questions than I spend talking. So obviously then what you're also doing is building relationships as you're doing that, which is key. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that I think the communication piece is the bridge to effective relationships. Most risk managers, and certainly more, you know, as you become more senior in, in roles and organizations and larger organizations, there are always times when you're going to have to have tough conversations with people because people will have, you know, usually for good intentions or for the right reasons have made decisions and those haven't worked out or they've had the opposite effect to what they were intended to or, you know, just weren't aligned with where the organization was trying to get to. And, you know, what I would say is those tough conversations are always much more palatable if you have a solid relationship with the individuals involved. It's one of those things where if you have a trusting relationship, if people understand where you're coming from and you understand where they're coming from, it's much more likely that when you come to them and say, hey, look, we've got an issue here and I need your help to resolve it, they're going to be much more receptive to having that conversation rather than if you come in cold and say, hi, I'm from risk management, I'm here to help you. And it's the first time they've ever sort of seen your, seen your face or, or heard your voice. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point, and I, I, I've always felt that risk management and just business in general is done through relationships, and you can't have I think an effective negotiation really if people don't know each other and they don't feel comfortable with each other. I guess you know, although um, I'm saying that and I'm thinking there are plenty of people that are very effective negotiators, and I wouldn't want to negotiate against who I don't have a relationship with, and I, I think I probably care not to actually. Yeah. What I would say, though, is those people who you look at and go, you know what, you're a really good negotiator. One of the things that I've certainly observed for folks like that is they figure out the relationship angle really quickly. They can say, okay, you know, a little bit of chit chat, a little bit of small talk at the start of a negotiation. And for them, they can build those relationships really quickly. So they might be a tough negotiator, but they actually understand people and they understand the importance of relationships and that, you know, it's not all about I win, you lose. You know, there's got to be some give and take in there. And, you know, I think going back to your point, business is a relationship game. Risk management is just business. You know, I say this to a number of my colleagues is risk management is just management. When we try and separate it out, we run the risk of forgetting that and forgetting that, you know, the key piece here is that we do risk management for a reason. No one, no one would buy insurance. No one would put money into a ERM program just for the sake of buying insurance or having an ERM program. 
we do that because there's a larger organizational objective that those activities support. And the second, as a risk manager, you separate yourself from the rest of the organization and what the rest of the organization is trying to achieve, you effectively become redundant in the eyes of our, you know, of our leaders because they're saying, well, what do we need you for? You know, if you're not going to help us achieve the mission, then perhaps we we don't need you or perhaps, you know, we, we need someone who is prepared to support the organization's mission and, and objective. So, you know, it's a really, really critical thing to stay really closely integrated into the organization for that reason. So I will tell you that's that is one of the most important things to think about because I'm I'm recalling a number of conversations I've had with people who let's say years ago really felt that risk management needed to help the organization change the direction they were going in if they didn't feel like it was consistent with what made good sense from a risk perspective and you know there's a difference between keeping the organization out of trouble and, and on the right path versus, you know, trying to change the strategy of the direction they're really going. And uh, so, in other words, I think some of these risk managers felt like the organization needed to adapt to their uh, perspective as opposed to the other way around. Those folks had a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? They're still having a hard time now, I think, is probably the answer. You know, I think there's a one of the really positive things that I've seen, you know, even in the last 10 years is a much greater willingness of organizational leaders, executive leaders, C-suite leaders to involve risk management in the setting of strategy. But to your point, that doesn't mean risk comes in and says, here's the strategy you conform to me. It's more about saying, how do we work collaboratively to be able to say, what do we want to achieve? What's the best way of achieving it? When you are the, the no person all the time, then eventually people just stop asking and saying, well, rather than saying no, let's have a conversation about how we can get there in a way that, as you said, protects the organization, but also allows the organization to achieve what it's trying to achieve. I mean, my, I guess my moment of risk management anarchy periodically is, is to say, you know what, we actually should be probably getting ourselves into more trouble than we are. You know, and I don't mean that in a terms of, you know, breaking the law. That's, you know, that's a non-negotiable, I think, for, for anyone that's sensible. But about saying, you know, sometimes we've got to take risks and we might fail and that's okay. I think, you know, certainly having worked in the, the tech sector now for the last few years, there's a much stronger willingness within technology companies to fail. And I think as a risk management profession, there's something for us to learn in there because we say, if we fail and we fail fast and we fail the right way, we actually learn a, a really, really useful lesson or series of lessons from there, which we can then apply to the next thing that we do. I think as a risk management profession, we've always probably been pretty conservative in terms of how we provide advice. Sometimes I think we just have to be prepared to take a step back and say, yeah, okay, you know what? Like if this goes horribly wrong, we've got controls in place so that we know that they're going to go wrong. We know what we need to do when that happens. Let's give it a go because if we're successful, this might be a really key breakthrough for our business, for our segment, for our industry, for kind of society more generally. And that's a, that's a, 
actually really exciting place to be. Yeah, and I think what you're what you're also really hitting on is, you know, you're helping the business leaders make a better risk adjusted decision. So, you know, if they understand the risks of going in a particular direction, then they go into it with open eyes, and you know, they won't they won't have a surprise if it doesn't work out the way they want it to, and they they're deciding up front how much risk they're willing to take. Exactly, and you know, that's what certainly the executive leaders that I've worked with have looked for. They're prepared to make the decisions. What they're looking for is assistance, guidance in terms of, you know, what sorts of things do they need to think about? What do they need to consider? And, you know, we obviously all will have an opinion on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, but, you know, I've been proven wrong enough times on things that I thought were bad ideas that, you know, I'm I'm prepared to accept that I'm not always right, which is pretty important. And that's helped me sort of probably be more open-minded when people have come in and said, look, we want to do this, what do you think? Rather than saying, no, that's a terrible idea where you dropped on your head as a child, which, you know, has sort of been a fairly standard response I've heard in a few places. It's now saying, okay, let's have a conversation about what you're trying to achieve here. You know, what is it that you want to get out of this? And then use that on a relationship basis to be able to say, okay, I get what you're trying to achieve. Have you thought about doing it this way or that way? Or what about this? You know, have you considered what this would mean? You know, again, none of those statements where you say no, but they can help everybody get to a better position and better understanding of what is it and how is it that we want to go about doing these things. So the example that is coming to my mind right now is this pandemic that we're dealing with and how, you know, businesses are trying to figure out how they can reopen up and how they can, you know, get back to business and keep everyone safe. I would imagine that risk management is front and center in that conversation. It absolutely should be. And if you're in an organization where it's not, that's probably uh, it's probably a fairly concerning place to be. So, you know, this current situation, I'm not going to throw around the superlatives like others have. You know, it's not unprecedented. We've had pandemics before, perhaps not in, you know, recent history, but, you know, we've had large-scale events with significant global consequences. And I'm not for a second downplaying how terrible this current situation is. It's impacting, you know, millions of people all around the world really, really negatively. And I think The key thing is remembering that as well, is that this is an event which is impacting people. And if we can look after our people and take good risk management decisions that let us look after our people, look after them the right way as well, put their concerns and safety and priorities at the front as much as as we can, then we figure everything else out from there. You know, I think there's sometimes in a rush to look after the organization. You know, some companies forget that, they, that their organization is made up of people. And as a risk management professional, now's the time when we really can demonstrate that, you know, we're not all about hard facts and figures. We can actually be the people bringing the kindness to the conversation around saying, hey, before we make this decision, let's consider how it's going to impact our people and our people in the broadest form, including, you know, family, the public, really making sure that we are being kind, we're being thoughtful, 
and we are taking risk-informed decisions. We're not knee-jerking to the latest news headline. We're not, you know, doing things which are actually going to be unhelpful in terms of our people, but also being prepared. And, and this is the hardest thing sometimes to say, right now, the best thing we can do is nothing. And I think a lot of a lot of people are probably struggling with that right now. They feel like they have to be doing things. You know, certainly a number of organizations are looking in, you know, particularly in the US and saying, hey, look, states are lifting their restrictions. We don't feel like it's right to go back to work yet. You know, we disagree with state government. You know what? That's okay as well, because that's a risk-informed decision. You know, and it might be the risk around we're concerned about the well-being of our staff, maybe not from the actual virus, but the well-being of our staff from a mental health point of view, because we've got to ride a bus or a train to get to work. And we know that that's actually pretty stressful for people right now. You know, we know this, we, we see some of the stats that tell us this. So you know what? The risk-informed decision right now is to actually do nothing. We'll keep doing what we're doing if we can. And, you know, we'll revisit that decision once things are, have calmed down a little bit or, or moved on a little bit further. Sounds pretty sensible. So, you know, I just realized that you don't actually work in the corporate office, do you? I do not. My company is headquartered in the UK. I'm based in Washington, D.C., now, when I'm not on the road, I actually work remotely. So for me, working from home, like you know, millions of Americans and Canadians and people around the world, that wasn't a huge transition for me. I mean, it meant that my cat was a, seen me a little more regularly than uh, she otherwise would have. But otherwise, uh, you know, I was pretty well set up. And that, you know, that in itself has brought some some unique challenges in terms of how do you respond to a global event like this, or you know, in fact, any type of global risk management um, issue or or activity. In you know, regular time, of course, I can get on a plane and I can travel, and I, I certainly did a, a lot of that, and probably will do more of that again in the future. But I think the key thing for for me now is you know, really harnessing the technology that we have available. I would typically have spent quite a bit of time on video calls with my colleagues and, and people inside and outside the business before. Now I'm probably spending, you know, four to five hours a day minimum on video calls with people. And, you know, we've got the technology. We can do a lot of this stuff remotely. And, one of the interesting things that I've seen is that it's actually forcing us to have conversations. As um, as people, you know, often we can be quite transactional because we see each other in the office every day. You know, what's this remote working? You know, one of the things I've seen is that, you know, people are actually looking to have a conversation and having much deeper more meaningful conversations about what is it that we're trying to do, how we want to do it, talking about the, you know, the really important things. And that's helping us make better decisions. I mean, my my hope and, and wish is that, you know, when the world goes back to, you know, whatever normal is going to look like, is that we hold on to that and we hold on to the quality of the conversation that we're having with with each other right now. 
because I think that's really going to help us be better risk managers, be better risk leaders, and frankly, make better decisions for our organizations as well. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And, and I'm also wondering if, you know, given the times we're in right now, there's a lot more tolerance for people, you know, blending blending in their personal lives with their business lives. And I think that people feel more comfortable. I, I have to say, generally, the sense I have is that people feel more comfortable having a more balanced life. I think, obviously, that we'd all like to be out and about more and such, but being able to work in a, a you know, a midday exercise class or something or a dog walk or, or what have you um, in the middle of your day uh, or, you know, something like that is, is kind of nice because it's not something that we've done, you know, working out of an office all these years. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point, Mike. And I guess we, you know, we're in, have seen it described as one of the greatest experiments in, in human history in terms of homeworking. And I, I wouldn't actually disagree with that characterization. You know, I think what it will force a lot of organizations to do is, you know, reevaluate really critically some of their base assumptions around how people work. You know, my organization, we've got, as you said, it, the introduction about 13,000 colleagues around the world. We're all working from home. You know, what we've seen, and I know, you know, from conversations with some of my colleagues, they're seen as well as that in a lot of places, we're actually being a lot more productive than we were uh, being in the office. You know, we're able to focus, we're able to do exactly what you're talking about as well, which is break up our day a little bit and be able to focus on a task, get it completed then move on to the next task, which you know I'm sure everyone everyone appreciates this isn't always the easiest thing to do when you're at a desk, especially in an you know open plan environment and people are stopping by or walking by and you know we can get distracted pretty regularly. I think the balance to that though is that, you know, is making sure that we do actually balance work and life. It's something that I had to work on when I started working remotely was you know, just because my laptop's in the corner of corner of a room sitting on my desk doesn't mean that I have to be on it, you know, all the hours that I'm awake. It's about setting those routines and getting into a regular rhythm because otherwise it can actually be pretty stressful. You know, people certainly, and I know, you know, people are feeling this way. They're feeling overwhelmed that they've got too much work to do. And, you know, that's a, that's a challenge as well. But you know, for me, I, I'm 100% with you. I try and go for a run at lunchtime two or three days a week. That gives me an opportunity to, to break up my day a little bit. I start a little earlier. I work a little later into the evening because that suits my lifestyle and kind of how I how I work best. Equally, if I need to pick something up a little early or a little late, I adjust my day around that. But, you know, certainly I find it to be you know, a much more productive uh, way of doing things. Now, having said that, you know, as a risk manager, and we talked about the importance of relationships, I can't sit at home all the time. You know, some things you have to do in person and some things you've got to be able to look someone in the eye across the table. And, you know, sure, you can do that on video, but occasionally you've got to be able to, to meet people in person. And that means... Again, being flexible around things like travel once we're able to travel again and being able to really engage in that sort of genuine human connection with people. From there, 
you can you know you can sustain that via video calls and phone calls and all the rest of it but you've you've got to have that genuine human connection as well yeah i think you know maybe what we're learning is that there can be a better balance it doesn't have to be all or nothing agreed yeah absolutely and you know one of the certainly one of the big arguments and has sort of always been well how will we know if people are working well the answer is pretty simple if you're not doing the job they won't be delivering what their job requires them to deliver. Now, if they choose to do that in three hours in the morning before their kids get up and, you know, in five hours in the evening after they put their kids to bed and, you know, they're not having to, you know, that's not impacting their ability to, to work with their coworkers or other stakeholders, you say, well, what does it matter? You know, if that's how they organize their day, you know, if they get the work done, they get the work done. Um, you know, I think, as said, it's going to require a lot of organizations to take a pretty hard look at some of the base assumptions that they've been working to for, you know, a good number of years now. Yep, definitely. Definitely. So I, I just have really one other topic I want to cover. Uh, this has been a great discussion, by the way. I really appreciate this. You know, it's we're 38 minutes into this discussion and we barely talked about insurance at all. <laughs> so, so it makes me wonder how much of your function, how much of your job is revolves around insurance versus other things? Probably. It's a hard question to answer. And, and the reason it's a hard question to answer is because insurance is just one of the pieces of a risk management puzzle. You know, I'm responsible for our corporate insurance program. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I spend spend a fair amount of time on it. Uh, throughout the course of a year, see, like anyone else, you know, round renewal it can get a little crazy. But I think for me, the key part is is almost not trying to separate it too far from the risk management function. You know, risk transfer, which is what insurance is, is just one of the tools available to us. And I think as a risk management professional, it's really important that we're able to advise on the full range of treatments that are available to our organizations. You know, it might be that we want to take on more risk. It might be that, you know, we want to ensure something. It might be that we just need to put some better controls in place. And I think, you know, one of the challenges and certainly one of the things I've tried to, you know, be pretty thoughtful about through my career is saying, you know, insurance is one option, but it is just one option. And we need to think pretty carefully about how we bring all of those pieces together, because if we don't, we can end up with a pretty lopsided program. And, you know, we're just ensuring things that we probably shouldn't, or we end up ensuring things that otherwise, you know, if we did a little bit of work on, or maybe a whole lot of work in some cases on, we could control a lot better and we would actually need to buy less insurance of. So, you know, I think it's a, it is a piece of a puzzle, but the key thing for for me as a risk management professional is how do you fit that into the full spectrum of the risk management process? And I guess that it almost takes us all the way back to where we started this conversation is, you know, what in my opinion is a, you know, do you need to be good at as a risk management professional? And it really is that point is understand the full process from start to finish and then understand how all the pieces come together and what options you have available, what tools you have in your toolkit, and then being able to bring the right ones out at the right time for the right issues. 
Well put, well put. Well, I think that about covers everything that I wanted to go over in this conversation. It's been very insightful and I uh, very much appreciate your time. And You're very I think, welcome. Uh, I think we'll, we'll call it a day for that. All right. Thanks. And appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you as always. Thanks. My Mark. pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. Hope you join us next time.